From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is Battleground Ballot Box. I'm Stephen Fowler. Later this month, a courtroom in Atlanta is expected to host the first trial in the Georgia election interference case that includes former President Donald Trump and 18 others who advanced his efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential race. Attorneys Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesbrough ask for speedy trials, and jury selection is slated to begin October 20th. We're actually officially kicking it off on a Friday on October 20th. But it's possible that Chesbro, who authored memos that led to some Republicans sending fake elector slates to Washington, and Powell, who played a role in the effort that saw election data illegally copied in rural Coffee County, might take plea deals to avoid a lengthy trial. Judge, I believe that we can. We'll, we'll sit down and, and, and kind of put some things together and, and we'll reach out to defense counsel individually to extend it out. They wouldn't be the first, though. Atlanta bail bondsman Scott Hall, facing seven felonies for his part in the Coffee County saga, entered a surprise guilty plea last week that indicates we could see more defendants take deals and testify against more central figures like Trump, his former attorney Rudy Giuliani, and former Georgia GOP chair David Schaefer. And I'll accept your plea and sentence you, Mr. Hall, as recommended by the parties. On counts one through five, the sentence would be 12 months probation. Each of these uh, counts is to run consecutive to each other for a total term, uh, effectively, of five years probation. The developments come as a federal judge has rejected efforts by Schaefer, two other fake electors, and a former Justice Department official to move their cases out of Fulton County as well as a steady stream of pre-trial motions that shine a light on the possible strategies of prosecutors and defendants. This week, we look at the latest developments in the Georgia RICO case. It's been almost two months since Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis announced charges against Donald Trump and 18 others for their failed efforts to undo Trump's 2020 election defeat in Georgia. Every individual charged in the indictment is charged with one count of violating Georgia's Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act through participation in a criminal enterprise in Fulton County, Georgia, and elsewhere to accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. Thanks to Georgia's speedy trial law, we are now just weeks away from the first two defendants potentially facing a months-long jury trial where prosecutors will outline the laws allegedly broken and the actions taken that tried to reverse Trump's 2020 election defeat. Judge, we contend that we must prove the entire conspiracy against each and every one charged. Each and every one charged. So the court, in the interest of judicial economy, would have to make the decision as to whether or not the court wants to try the same case 19 times or two. Kenneth Chesbrough's role in the conspiracy includes authoring memos that outline how Republicans could send falsified slates of presidential electors to Washington in order to circumvent the results. Sidney Powell's case includes involvement with a scheme that saw Trump supporters and election deniers gain access to election systems in rural Coffee County and unlawfully copy data from voting machines, election servers, and other equipment. In a hearing last month, both argued before Judge Scott McAfee their cases should be heard speedily but separately from each other. Chesbro attorney Scott Grubman. Why should 
Mr. Chesborough have to deal with a jury who's going to sit there for weeks, if not months, and listen to all of this evidence related to Coffee County and Miss Powell. He's never been there. He's never met Miss Powell. He's never emailed, text, or called her. He's never spoken with her directly or indirectly. And although I'm not trying to steal the thunder from my colleague, Mr. Rafferty, on behalf of Ms. Powell, same is to be said for Ms. Powell. Powell's attorney, Brian Rafferty, agreed. The government was kind enough to list on page 16 or 17 or 18 a summary of the various manner and means of the indictment. And if you look at that, you'll see that Ms. Powell had nothing to do with most of it. Ms. Powell had nothing to do with false statements to state legislators, nothing to do with false statements to high-ranking government officials, nothing to do with false electoral college documents, nothing to do with the election worker here in Fulton County, nothing to do with solicitations of the Department of Justice, nothing to do with solicitations to the vice president. The only thing which she's alleged to have involvement is, as my co-counsel have said, is this Coffee County matter. And frankly, Your Honor, the, the way the government has characterized that, the evidence is going to show they're incorrect. Both sets of attorneys have also maintained their clients have done nothing wrong, and in televised court hearings and legal motions have accused the Fulton County DA's office of misconduct and handling pretrial requests for discovery evidence in an unfair manner. In a hearing last week, Powell's attorney Rafferty alleged prosecutors were covering up evidence that might prove Powell's innocence, also known as Brady material, amidst thousands and thousands and thousands of documents handed over. At the same time, the government cannot hide Brady material as an exculpatory needle in a haystack of discovery. And that's a case in which the decision, I believe, was reversed because there was materials turned over for sure. But you can't argue that you satisfy your obligations with respect to Brady by just dumping terabytes upon terabytes of documents. Powell's lawyer also asked the court to dismiss the charges against her, citing alleged prosecutorial misconduct because, in his words, there was no way a grand jury could have indicted her for crimes she did not commit. Will Wooten with the DA's office responded. Um, the allegation that we're withholding evidence, suppressing evidence, and that we're committing prosecutorial misconduct are outrageous. They're not true. Number one, the defendant says in her motion, to, uh, quote, to indict Ms. Powell, the district attorney and special prosecutor necessarily committed prosecutorial misconduct. That is absurd. It's unsupported. The court has heard no evidence other than we don't like the fact that we got indicted. We disagree with the state's theory of the case, and therefore there must have been prosecutorial misconduct. That is not how this works. Judge Scott McAfee agreed, dismissing that motion. But I, I don't see that as, as clearing just the procedural bar of being something that's under the court's authority, uh, because this isn't something where, as the Constitution says, it's the, it's the jury's role to decide contested issues. And I believe if the state wanted to, they could have sat here and we could have a, a preliminary trial that would last weeks as well. But that's not what we want to do. And certainly I can sympathize with the idea that uh, someone who vigorously contests and believes in their innocence um, doesn't want to have to sit through a long trial. Um, but that is the, the state's right to do. McAfee also dismissed a request by Chesbro's lawyers to dismiss the case because Special Assistant District Attorney Nathan Wade failed to file his oath of office, quoting a Monty Python sketch in a rather scathing rebuke of the motion that didn't have merit. And if this parrot of a motion is somehow not yet dead, McAfee wrote, the defendant has failed to establish how special ADA Wade's actions resulted in prejudice, i.e. how his assignment single-handedly changed any specific actions taken during the investigation or resulted in the true bill of indictment. 
the pretrial wranglings are starting to give us an idea of the scope of potential arguments for both the DA's office and the defendants too, thanks to documents filed pertaining to potential witnesses. Prosecutors have filed requests for out-of-state witnesses that include several top GOP officials in other swing states that saw fake electors, former Georgia-based attorney and election conspiracist Lynn Wood, and more, while some of the potential names on the list Chesbro plans to call include Georgia's fake electors, Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel, and other people involved with executing the fake elector scheme. All of these motions, updates, and pre-trial wranglings come as jury selection is slated to begin Friday, October 20th, with half of the 900 prospective jurors summoned to the courtroom to begin what is expected to be about a four-month process, meeting four days a week, eight hours a day, with breaks around the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. But it's also possible that there could be no trial at all after a surprising yet expected development with a different defendant. Coming up on the podcast, we break down the first plea deal accepted by a Fulton County RICO defendant and how it could shape the coming months. Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. You're listening to Battleground Ballot Box on Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Fowler, and we're discussing the latest developments in the ongoing 2020 election interference racketeering case in Georgia. In a surprise hearing a few weeks ago, Judge Scott McAfee convened attorneys for the entry of the first plea deal in that case. All right, let's go on the record with 23SC188947, State versus Scott Graham Hall. Uh, This is not a matter that had been scheduled today, but I was informed by uh, both parties that they would like to have an impromptu court hearing. Hall, an Atlanta-area bail bondsman, was facing the racketeering charge as well as six other felony counts, ranging from conspiracy to commit election fraud to conspiracy to commit computer trespass and defraud the state for his participation in the Coffey County election data breach. With his lawyer by his side, Hall answered the necessary questions to enter his guilty plea to five misdemeanor counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties. Are you under the influence of any drugs or alcohol from today? No, ma'am, I'm not. Is there any medication that you should have taken that you had not taken? No, ma'am. How old are you, son? 59. And how far did you go in school? College. Are you able to read, write, and understand the English language? Yes, ma'am. And do you have any, have you had any difficulty going over the phone with your time? No, ma'am, I have not. Instead of face the prospect of a multi-defendant trial down the road, including the possibility of sharing a courtroom with Donald Trump, Hall's negotiated sentence was relatively light. So uh, ultimately, I do agree and find that there's a sufficient factual basis for the charges, and I find this plea of guilty to be knowingly, voluntarily, and intelligently entered. And I'll accept your plea and sentence you, Mr. Hall, as recommended by the parties. On counts one through five, the sentence would be 12 months probation. Each of these uh, counts is to run consecutive to each other for a total term. Uh, effectively of five years probation. For each of these counts, there's a $1,000 fine uh, for a combination of $5,000. Hall is also not allowed to serve as a poll worker or participate in administering elections. 
He also has to write a letter of apology, record a statement for the DA's office, and complete 200 hours of community service. Most importantly, Hall agreed to testify truthfully in the future, including in trials against co-defendants. Some experts say Hall's plea deal could be the tip of the iceberg for many of the remaining defendants not named Donald Trump. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, several of the RICO defendants have been approached by the prosecution regarding plea deals, though at this time it's not clear if any will accept deals or what the terms would be. Indeed, when Judge Scott McAfee asked the DA's office if there were offers made to Powell and Chesbro to avoid the October trial, the response was this. Judge, we, we understand we have not made an offer. Most of our communication with uh, defense counsel has been surrounding the motions and and, and discovery issues, um, but we have not at this point made an offer. Is the state in a position to be able to make one in the near future? Um, Judge, I believe that we can. We'll, we'll, we'll sit down and 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 kind of put some things together and, and we'll reach out to defense counsel individually to extend it off. If and when that happens, you'll hear about it here on this podcast. There have been key updates with some of the defendants on the non-speedy trial track two. A federal judge has now denied requests by all five people seeking to move their charges to federal court, most recently ruling against the three fake electors charged in connection with that plot and a former Department of Justice official who wrote a memo falsely claiming the DOJ had doubts about Georgia's election results. Those denials, plus that of former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, are now in front of the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Meanwhile, Trump's lawyers say he will not try to move his case to federal court. As always, you can keep up with the latest twists and turns in the case at gpb.org. On the next episode of Battleground Ballot Box, we examine a growing discussion over voter referendums in Georgia. Fights over voting access aren't limited to Georgia Republicans. A petition drive against the Democratic-led city of Atlanta's new public safety training center has resulted in more than 100,000 alleged signatures of residents who want to see the controversial site put in front of voters. But legal hurdles and pushback from the mayor's office has ignited a firestorm of conversation and action. We look at the on-the-ground efforts to stop the Atlanta Police Training Center, also known as Cop City, at the ballot box. Battleground Ballot Box is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting and is produced by Chase McGee. Our engineer is Jake Cook, our editor is Josephine Bennett, and the theme music was created by me, Stephen Fowler. Subscribe to our show at gpb.org battleground or anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening.